Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. And those out there. All right. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5, Message Bible, which says this so well. Here's Jesus speaking uh, to the Pharisees and to the entourage that surround him that day, which always included the Pharisee tribe. And the message version puts it this way. He said, don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling circus show mentality all over again. Playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You may be more familiar with the virgins that talk about the speck in someone else's eye that we try to fix and the plank of the same thing in our own eye that we are oblivious to. Jesus speaks here in the in the um, authorized NIV version 2 about the measure that you use shall be measured back to you. So he's also saying not only is it unwise to obsess over something in someone else's life and be oblivious to that same thing in yours, he's saying the measure with which we do that is also going to come back in our lives. That the measure of grace and the measure of kindness and the measure of benefit of the doubt that we give to people, and the measure of stepping back and judging ourselves first rather than being quick to judge others, the measure with which we do this in life, also God is interested in and keeps an eye on. And sometimes we've used a very strong measure on others that we would die and run away and live in offense if that same measure was used on us. This is what he's after giving us a heads up about. Now, I know he's here speaking to the Pharisees uh, about their hypocrisy, because the Pharisees, as you know, these religious people were famous for obsessing over tiny things in people's lives and would not pay attention to the weakness and the problems and the error and the sin in their own life. And whilst we have Pharisees still present in every church in the world today, and that tribe and that clan continues to live on, uh, I'm not using the scripture in this way today. There's something fascinating to me that's implicit, embedded in the text here, that fascinates me because I was fascinated when I read this about how is it possible to have such good insight? How is it possible to have such good uh, intuition? to see something so small as a speck of wrong, wrong in your opinion, wrong in my opinion, in someone else's life, how can you have such forensic eyesight to see an error in someone else's life and at the same time be oblivious whilst you are correcting them about that error, you yourself have the full grown-up version of it in your own life. We all know people like that. We're also all guilty of this to some degree or other. So this isn't picking on 
anybody today. This is saying this is something we all have to be aware of in our own lives. And Jesus isn't saying that a speck of wrong, a speck of something, you know, doesn't need addressing because specks unaddressed grow up to become planks. So he's not saying that, you know, you shouldn't even be helping each other. He's saying that if you're going to speak into someone else's life with a correction, an adjustment, a perhaps observation that will not be pleasant to hear, that you have to first commit to look at yourself. And in looking at yourself first, starting, as Michael Jackson said, with the man in the mirror. If you will do that first, I think God's saying, if we would do that as a rule in our life, as a guidance for relational health, then the chances are we would not speak to anyone about their specs at all. Or if we do, it would be so measured and it would be so gracious and so kind that people would feel that they were helped rather than corrected. This is a spirit that he's after that was not present in the Pharisees and is not present, by the way, in much of the church around the world because we have done this to the world. <clears throat> we have done this to the dirty, rotten sinners, forgetting that we are also dirty, rotten sinners, and none of us are without sin, and none of us have the right to cast the first stone, but we do. Some of us are stoning fanatics, and the church are throwing stones at the world all the time, not realizing that we have no right to do that, and this is not the way to win people to Christ, and this is why no one wanted to be involved in a Pharisee's version of church. Because they felt that when they were in the Pharisees' version of, of God, that they felt small and patronized and blamed and they lived in shame and guilt because of the spirit that the Pharisees brought to their generation. And as I said, in much of the church, continue to do. So <clears throat> I want you to picture someone that's obsessed with fixing something in your life, but you're looking back at them thinking, hang on a minute. What right have you got to say that to me? Because I can so clearly see that flaw, that fault, that problem far worse in your own life. Someone that maybe obsesses with an act of selfishness that you did today, an act of unkindness that you did today. Someone that obsesses with something that you did that came across negative or cynical and jumps on you about it. And when they're jumping on you about it, you're like, are you kidding me? This is what my mother used to call the kettle calling the pot black. You have that saying here? The kettle calling the pot black. I never knew what my mother meant by that. <clears throat> I thought, what a strange thing to say to me who was not involved in kettles or pots. My mother was, but I was not. You millennials in here, you, you 20, 30-somethings don't know what we're talking about with kettles and pots because that's not part of your life either. Now you, now you plug things in. The kettle and pot is an allusion to the time in the world when things were heated up on stoves and the heat from underneath blackened the bottom of the kettle or the pot. And my mother was saying to me, you are as black as the pot. So you can't say to the pot, you are black, you are dirty, you are unworthy, you have a problem when you are also carrying the same mark underneath of blackness and the reason the kettle can call the pot black and the pot can call the ke kettle black is because neither of them can see their own bottoms you're welcome <clears throat> neither of them can see because of 
the way this blackness is, where it is in their own life, is very difficult for them to see. So this obsession with fixing other people is fascinating because if you can have such amazing eyesight to see a speck in my life and not see the wrong in your life, I wonder how that's possible. It's possible because we all do it, but we're not aware of why we do it. And this message is about giving you a heads up to the fact that we all do this. It is not good for our relationships. And here's why I think we do it. When you think of yourself, and I think of myself, several perspectives come to mind. I'm going to give you three. There's more, but these three are general enough to give you the difference of perspectives when you think of you or I think of me or you think of other people. First of all, there is what we all know about you, which we could call the public version of you. That is, when your name comes up in conversation and you're not there, there's things we know about you because of our friendship, our relationship with you, that we can talk about and laugh and enjoy and speak about because this is the part of you that you have let us in on. It's the public you, and we all have a public us. That's one perspective that when your name comes to mind, if I know you, I instantly go to the things I know about you that you don't mind me knowing, you don't mind us knowing. Secondly, there is what only you know about you perspective when when you think of your life and I think of you, which we could call the private you. There's the public you and the private you, things only you know about you that you wouldn't want other people to know about you. And by the way, we should all have a private version of us. If we don't, we have Jerry Springer lives. And Jerry Springer churches. And I've been to those churches, and it's not good. People just think the idea is we, we tell everybody everything. And so today, if you think that's the idea, we want to say to you, please don't overshare with us. Because when you overshare... It stays on our mind, even though you got it off yours. And you sleep peacefully tonight because you overshared, and we're up all night worrying about what you told us. So we want you to have a private you and keep that to yourself. Everybody should have that version. But what I'm fascinated by for the purposes of this message is the third perspective, which is this. There is what others know about you that you don't know about you. And that is called a blind spot. And we all have them. And this is what Jesus is alluding to in the Pharisees' lives. Why they're able to see a speck of wrong in you and not see the large wrong in them has got to be because their religiosity, their hypocrisy, their obsession with looking outward and not looking inward created in them a blind spot that let them do that and see no wrong in it. In fact, when Jesus corrected them about it, they saw that as something they should fix and shut down in his life, and they finished up crucifying him because he pointed out to them the error of trying to do that and trying to build a church and build an experience for people with God on that kind of approach to life. And the thing about blind spots is, like the pot and the kettle, you can't see them. And so if you don't know what you don't know, you're going to go through life not knowing why you seem to have so much trouble and turbulence in relationships in life. And there's lots of reasons why we have turbulence in our relationships beyond this, but this is certainly one of them. And it's a stumbling block to our 
to our flow relationally between ourselves and us as a church out into the community. Think about blind spots is like they are in a vehicle, they are structural in our lives. This is why they're so difficult to stand back from and identify, yes, there's one there, one there, and one there. We find it so difficult to step back from the vehicle of our own lives, look back at ourselves, and see ourselves operating in complete blindness in some areas of our life. It's very difficult to do that. If you drive a vehicle, you know that every vehicle has blind spots, and the blind spots don't change day to day. They're the same blind spot, but as long as you have that vehicle, it doesn't change. And so you learn to figure out where the blind spots are, and you learn to try to look through the glass either side of the blind spot of the, of the solid pillar of the car, and you come to a junction, and maybe there's a notoriously bad junction around here somewhere. Every town has them. That's an accident black spot. And you stop, and you pause, and you take extra care because this junction is where a lot of stuff happens, a lot of collisions happen. And so you look right, and you look left, and you look right, right and left, and then you start to pull out and take off, and boom. This car literally, as far as you're concerned, this car literally came out of nowhere. Even though that's impossible, it came out of nowhere. And when you get out of the vehicle to start swapping insurance details, you're embarrassed to hear yourself saying to the person who hit you, I never saw you. They look at you like, you didn't just say that to me. You, what do you mean you didn't see me? My car is bright yellow. It is large. I'm driving a big yellow Hummer. What do you mean you didn't see me? It seems so weak and so blame-shifting to say, I didn't see you. Implicit in I didn't see you is that you should have seen me instead. Implicit in I didn't see you is it was not my fault. And implicit in I didn't see you was that what you don't know in your vehicle is how much care I took. What you can't believe is despite looking right and left and right and left, despite giving more care and attention than most drivers would have done, you still didn't see him coming. This is, this is the nature of blind spots because blind spots let you look but do not let you see. And looking and seeing are not the same thing. And we think because we looked, we must have seen what's there or we must have seen what's not there. So on the basis of looking, we proceed, not knowing that there are blind spots that are blanking out something that's about to hit us. And so we proceed. And it doesn't matter how hard you look. If you have a blind spot, there are things in life you're never, ever going to see coming because you have a blind spot like the kettle and the pot. Imagine if every time you came to that junction, you had a curbside friend that would always meet you at that junction every day and would stand on the curbside after the last collision you had was so bad. They said, I'm going to do you a favor. Every morning when you drive to work, I'm going to stand on that curbside and I'm going to shout to you if I see something coming because you can't see it because you don't have the curbside perspective. In other words, I'm going to be the person that knows something about you. 
I'm going to be the one that sees something about you that you cannot see and know about yourself. I'm on the curb, and I can see that there's a red, bright yellow, orange, stripy Hummer coming, and I'm going to say, whoa, 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 hang on, no, 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 no. Don't set off yet, which you're about to do. So you pause and you hold off, and pass, you know, coming past you is the, the tank <laughs> that you couldn't see coming. And then we set off. So this message is about saying to us, you're not to blame for your blind spots until you know about them. Once you know about them, the idea from then on in life is not to try and get rid of them because they're structural. They're part of who you are. Blind spots come from our upbringing. They come from our belief systems. They come from mindsets we don't even know we have. They're blind spots. And we, we inherit them as we grow up. We inherit them through culture and through education and through socioeconomic backgrounds and through influential voices in our lives that set into us certain ways of thinking about people and situations and circumstances, ways we think about money and about people in authority and about people of the opposite sex and about God and church and religion and government and politics and all that stuff. We grow up not knowing that, that someone else, something else, chose those tunes to be programmed into the jukebox of our internal wiring, as it were. So this is not today about getting rid of blind spots. That would be too big an ask to do. That's not impossible. You can restructure part of your internal life. You can restructure the vehicle of your life. That's a whole nother teaching that I'm not here to do, but it's possible. I've done it in my own life, and so have some of you. You are a different person now to the person you were, and that just doesn't mean that you are now a Christian and you weren't before. It just doesn't mean that you've got some education and some qualifications and you're a nicer person. For some of you, it literally means that you are just not the same person that you were. You have reprogrammed, you have restructured the vehicle of your life. That's possible. But today I'm settling for something less than that, which would still be worth you coming to church to hear this, which is that if you could manage your blind spots, if you could know I have a potential blind spot here that is prone to create collisions in my life, I'm going to step back and I'm going to try and give a language to it. I'm going to try and perceive what are the crossroads, what are the junctions in my life where I normally have collisions because I look but don't see. If I could figure out where they are, then this week will be a better week for you. 2017 will be a better year for you with better outcomes because you're navigating your way forward aware of the potential of collisions. And every collision takes its cost. Everyone takes its toll. Everyone requires a period of recovery from it. Everyone is not just damaging you, but whoever hit you, and so on and so on. And so we don't want you losing your license as a human being. We don't want you in prison because you had too many accidents, you had lost too many points on your license, and you were banned from driving. You're kind of banned from relationships. You're excluded from the circle of friendships you were in. You're excluded from marriage and family and friends and team because we get so fed up of the collisions your blind spots cause that we just can't do life with you anymore. So if you could be aware of them, if I could be aware of them and give a language to them, 
and manage them, then that would be certainly a good outcome of being here today. Blind spots um, are fascinating because I used to, when I was pastoring, uh, look at the platform as you did today and see these people on stage here. And as a pastor in my own church, as part of producing this, as part of putting this out, what we do here, I, I just didn't sit there like you. I, I didn't just attend and lift my hands in worship because I am on duty in my head. So I would stand there as the pastor thinking, well, she looks miserable. The keyboard player looks on complete autopilot like he was up all night. Um, the singer is singing, but I don't think her heart is in it. She looks like she's on autopilot. And I would have these thoughts in my mind, and I would then speak to the team and say, hey, guys, can you just look a bit more interested in what you're doing up here in, in the hope it might inspire us to get involved a bit more? And they'd say, what do you mean? I, I, I was interested. I, I was so... I was so in there today. I was so lost in the presence of God. I'm like, no, no, you weren't. Or if you were, you could have fooled me because if that looks like being lost in God, I never want to be lost in God. <laughs> so I would make, I would insist that for a period of a few months, I insisted every week at their, at their worship team rehearsal night, they spent five, ten minutes looking at a video of themselves. When they saw the video, they're like, oh, Oh my gosh, he was right. Oh, I can't believe how disinterested, how bored, how autopilot I looked like on the stage. Because we feel inside that we're completely into this thing, not knowing that we have not told our face. You know those people that say, you know, I was, I was laughing in my heart. I, I was in peace in my heart. I was committed in my heart. I was loyal in my heart. Well, you should have told your behavior and informed your habits, and then we would have not have had to wonder whether or not it was in your heart. That's how difficult these things are. And so if you can't find a curbside friend, find a video friend that gives you a bit of playback and says, you know what, let me just tell you how that felt when I heard it. Let me just tell you what that came across like, and I don't think that's who you are, and it didn't help you at all, so let me just put a mirror up to you, I suppose, is what the video thing did for those guys. Now, you all okay? Leaders are constantly making decisions, and every decision we make in leadership, and you all are in some form of leadership, none of us make a decision virtually that is neutral and only affects us. Every decision, every decision we make affects someone. So we want the decisions we make, and the bigger the vehicle, the bigger the decision. If Donald Trump makes a decision, um, it affects America, depending on the size of the decision. So if the decision is made to invade Iraq, we want that decision, don't we, to be as blind spot free as possible, because all of us, are involved in that. And some of you are very involved if you are family or you are in the military. Lives are on the line with some decisions. So we want our politicians to have curbside video playback friends that say to them, hang on a minute, have you considered this perspective that I can see from curbside that you can't as you're about to press go on that decision? That's why we've got to pray for our people in authority at the highest level because they are making decisions that affect all of our lives and we want them to do that. 
But we want them to make these decisions as blind spot free as possible, which doesn't mean they don't have blind spots. It means they have to surround themselves with people who also have blind spots, but not the same ones. Now, here's what I discovered as a leader, as a pastor for 30 odd years with my staff and team, primarily, but true of us all. A blind spot has a way of dropping down from the head into the soul and becoming an emotional experience. When a blind spot becomes embedded in your emotions, now every conversation you have about that scenario, about that person, about that circumstance, is, is led by how you feel and how it made you feel and what you feel about that person or that scenario. So some of my team would say to me, you know what, I just want to say, here's what I felt. Here's what that person made me feel like. Here's what I think we all feel when that lady said that and did that. Here's what I feel. You know, and I would say, hang on a minute, I'm at war. You, you, can't, you can't lead us all around this table based on how you feel about what they said to you. Now, some of this feeling stuff mainly came from the ladies. Okay, before you... Before you, judge, before you judge my spec, I've lived my life with five women, okay? So a wife and four daughters. I'm very up to speed with um, the emotional um, ups and downs of the females in my life. And whilst, the sun, whilst we love that, because if it was left to men, there'd be no emotions in the church or in life sometimes. So we appreciate what you bring to the table but sometimes because the girls would feel it deeply, I would have to say to them as the curbside friend, can we have the facts? Like, what do you mean the facts? You know, the, the, the real story, what actually happened. Could you try and uncouple emotionally from what you felt? Because once we're into feeling, now we are dealing with a feeling that you deny you have. <laughs> you blind about the presence of the feeling that you keep speaking to us from. So when I say to you, hang on a minute, you, you gotta just deal with that reaction. You gotta deal with that hurt. You gotta deal with that offense or bitterness that is in, I, I'm not bitter, I'm not offended, what? I'm offended, you saying I'm offended. I feel angry that you're telling me that you think I'm angry. So when you start to operate from this embedded emotional blind spot, and now everything is lead, led with how you feel, it gets very, very difficult to deal with that because talk about structural, it now hides inside a hurt and the pain and an upset and it lives there for decades. And you never know it's there and when it's touched on, it's a raw nerve. I don't, I, I, I'm not like that, you've got the wrong person. So, so blind spots can take an emotional life and go underground and become embedded in a way that are even more difficult to fix. Now I'm saying this today knowing that these are probably present in the room for some of us, but it's never too late. And today isn't about having you all come forward. We have a, we have a blind spot free prayer line because I'd be the first one in it. These things are not fixed by shabba doing. I'm a shabba doer myself, but I think we exaggerate the whole point of shabba doing. So we can't fix it by shabba doing, I wish. Because we'd have you all out now, and we'd have a shabba doing eight minutes, and we'd have you all fixed. These things are part of our humanity. These things are structural, and by definition, anything structural is more difficult to see and fix. 
Let me say one or two more things. You all okay? Familiarity. Familiarity is a huge cause and creator of blind spots. We get so used to the people we do life with, so used to our spouse, our kids, our family, our friends, our job, our community, our church, everything that we do every single day, every single week that is a repetitious behavior is going to become something we're familiar with. And the problem with familiarity is that it can lead us towards a blind spot like the Pharisees had about Jesus. This is Joseph's son, isn't it? They picked up stones to stone Jesus when he began to preach, first ever preach, first sermon he ever had. The first sermon he ever did in his hometown of Nazareth, they tried to kill him. You think, wouldn't you? You think, maybe I should change my vocation. Maybe I'm not called to be doing this because this didn't go down well at all today. Because they could not see him as anything other than this young kid, you know, from their town. They knew his dad. They didn't trade with him and his dad as the local carpenters. So when he starts standing up quoting from Isaiah, they're like, who's this kid think he is? And so, so the blind spot of the Pharisees, like you at the crossroads, allowed them to look at him and watch him and see him doing miracles, signs, and wonders and still decide we need to crucify him. That's what familiarity does. And I just want to say to you that in 2017, if you would try to identify the things that are potentially too familiar to you, and within that over-familiar feel you have towards someone or something, you are creating for yourself a blind spot that reduces your joy, that minimizes your success, that compromises your pleasant experience or appreciation of someone or something because of a familiarity that makes you walk straight past it. And when you hear other people saying amazing things about something that you've been part of for years, this happens in churches all the time. If you're new in this church, when you come here, you think you've died and gone to heaven. But someone sat next to you that's been coming here for 10 years thinks you're a bit overexcited. Almost tries to calm us down sometimes. This is what the disciples did when people that were touched by Jesus were so ecstatic to the, to the point where they... They threw away their most expensive perfume and wasted it, in their opinion, wasted it on Jesus. What a waste. And they tried to stop it happening and wanted Jesus to correct this woman that was getting carried away with this extravagant wastefulness towards Jesus. But you see, they've been around him for a long time and familiarity had crept into their experience with him and what they saw as waste he just saw as a grateful soul being generous and doing something that she could to say to him how much she loved him and what happens is the more familiar we get the less generous we become the less the less loving we become the less enthusiastic we become the less excited we become because it's just church it's just Christianity is just preaching, it's just leadership, it's just worship, it's just small groups, it's just volunteering, it's just, and we don't say that out loud, but that's where it settles in us. And what happens is we think the problem is outside of us, and so we expect leadership to bring us alive every week. 
and excite us again and entertain us and convince us to come back next week again and, and, and try to persuade and coerce us. I've got a real word from God for you next week. Don't miss out. I've got a word from God for you all. I just think if I say that, you might come back. Or some other means of coercing you because what we feel is that you are so f- chilled and familiar that you need something special to happen to keep you interested. Nothing special is going to happen. Something special already happened. <laughs> the most special thing that will ever happen to you happened when you came to Christ. You don't get more special than that. And we get familiar with that. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Woo! Next page. Whoa, whoa, whoa hang on. And I can't do that for you, and you can't do it for me. That's why I said about Kirk and Suzette, their, their continual fascination and interest with, with their craft, with their calling, with their sense of responsibility and privilege of building this church, of loving you guys. Their continual fascination with how to do that better and, and new ways and new angles to get old things done in fresh ways. If we all of us did that every single day, then we would be more protected from slipping into familiarity that makes us take this for granted. Never ever take this church and your faith and God, what he's done for you and done for us for granted. Because that that taken for granted thing becomes a massive blind spot. Come on, let's stand together. Time's gone. The band are back up here. If you weren't in the first service, I encourage you to get the download from that because I said some things in that service I haven't said in this one and vice versa. So the people in the first service should get this download and then we should be a cross-pollinating of the best of this message from both services. Because I get so, I can't do the same thing twice identical. I get too bored. I'm too spontaneous. I'm too random. I'm too naughty to stay on message. Come on, every eye closed. Father, we love you. We do. We are so, honestly, Lord, we're so freaked out. Number one, that you saved us. Number two, that you then included us. That you believed that we could make a difference. That you looked to us in ways that no one ever has. The expectancy of us, your belief in our potential, your belief in the difference we can make staggers us still. And so we stand here humbled and grateful for your inclusion of us in this massive idea you have to fill the earth with the knowledge of your grace and goodness and kindness to humanity. Lord, we want to spend this week a little bit more aware of our potential blind spots than we have perhaps to date. And I pray for that to be the outcome of today. That this week we find some curbside or video playback friends that are maybe going to give us a heads up about stuff that minimize our collisions this week in our lives. Let that be our gift to ourselves and our gift to all other road users in our life this week in Jesus' name. I don't know you guys and so the possibility is that as far as I'm concerned many of you here 
are here for the first time or you've been here several times but you've never yet given your life to Christ and this I find interesting and fascinating and challenging because you're in church and you know you're not in a coffee shop or a gymnasium or the movies you came to church so if you came to church in the same way as you'd have gone somewhere else you knew where you were coming to unless your GPS took a wrong turn in which case we're still glad you're here but if you're here in church, you've come intentionally into the neighborhood of God. And so I confidently ask you, as I would, if I was a waiter in a restaurant, I would gladly come and offer you a menu and ask you what you want. And so I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to say to you, what do you want today? Why are you here? Why did you come to this restaurant? Because we have a speciality on our menu that we recommend to all our guests. And that's what this moment's about. We highly recommend to you the house special, which is a new beginning with a God who has loved you from before you were born. In fact, a God who made sure you got born and has been watching you from a distance perhaps all of your life. And you were unaware of his presence because he doesn't need to be in your face. For him to be involved in your life and so you're here today and I'm here today and this moment is about me saying to you as once someone said to me hey is this your time is this your day is this your moment because if it is let's do this thing and today if you're here and you're like that and you're saying God I'm here and I want that special on the menu I want to give my life to you today I want to step into a new beginning a new life, a new opportunity to a destiny and a plan that I didn't even know you had for me because no one's got that for me, but you have. I want to become part of that. I want to be intentionally committed to that today. I want the rest of my life to be different and bigger and better, and I know it can if I put you in charge. So while eyes are closed all across the room and we're praying for you because we once were you, I'm asking if that's you this morning. Come on, all across the room making your peace, making your stand, making your commitment of intention towards God today that way. Come on, lift your hand if that's you across the room today. When I've seen your hand, you can take it down. Come on, someone over here, someone over there. Come on, I can see you guys. Come on, anyone else, just put your hand up where you are. Don't hesitate, forget who you came with. Forget what anybody thinks, not about anybody else but you today. Come on, all across the room, a few more seconds. Anybody else, just put your hand up. Someone over here to my left, fantastic. Come on, anyone else. Just pop your hand up high till I can see it. I know there's others here. The time's going, but I'm going to give you a few more seconds. Come on, someone else. Come on, someone over here. I can see you there. Fantastic. Come on, anyone else. Five more seconds. Come on, someone else that we can reach today. Let me just circle the lifeboat round one more time before we head for shore and shut the service. Is there someone that needs us to circle around one more time and come to where you are and rescue you and assist you in this way. Is there someone else we're missing? Come on, one more time. Come on, someone over here. Someone over there. Come on, lift your hand. Is there anyone else we're missing? Come on, someone down there. Saying, God, this is my moment and I'm not going to miss it. Do not go back to shore. Do not shut down this service till I've responded because I know I should and I will want to. Is there anybody else in this room? You know why this is important to us? Everybody look at me. You know why this is important right now? Listen to me. You will never ever say to God, 
No one waited for me. We are removing that from your life. You'll never be able to say, no one gave me a chance, no one waited. Even that church was in a rush. Because we're not. We're making all these people who don't need this moment. Most people in here don't need this. We're making all these people wait. Or maybe one or two or whoever does need this because we were you. And we were the one that was missing. And now maybe you're the one that's missing. We're the 99 that are gathered in. We were once the one that was lost that someone came and found and gave time to. So this moment here is saying we are waiting. We are happy to wait. We're making everybody wait because we're glad someone waited for us. So, eyes closed one more time, everybody. I know there's other people here. I can feel it. I know you're struggling. I struggled too. But maybe you just need us to create this next few seconds to reach to your life. And that's what we're doing right now. Come on, one more time all across the room. You've not yet lifted your hand, but you feel you should. You feel you want to. You feel I ought to. This is my moment. Come on, one more time. Lift your hand right now where you are. Till I've seen it, then you can take it down. Come on, someone else across this room. Come on, over there, down there. See that lady there. Come on, anyone else. Anyone else. Lift your hand where you are. Fantastic. Father, we thank you for every hand lifted that represents a life and a journey and a destiny and an influence and a voice for your kingdom in the earth. We pray this first step will be strong and intentional and will never have to be made again. We pray every hand lifted will never have to be lifted again for the same thing because what happened today was so strong and so focused and so intentional, it becomes the strongest, the strongest uh, effect, the strongest brand, the strongest kind of faith and walk with you anyone, anyone could ever have in every hand raised today. Let's welcome every person lifted a hand today and say thank you for doing that. Hey guys, just want to let you know about a resource that I'm making available to everyone called Aging Well. It is a video series, almost 11 hours in length, over 60 videos, and it covers aging well in five areas. Aging well physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and generationally. It has a ebook that goes with it. It also has a Q&A and workbook that comes with it. I think you guys are going to find a real addition to your personal growth investment. I hope you'll enjoy it. You're going to find it at gbpacademy.com.